0: It's lovely to see you all here this morning. My name is Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. We're, we're carrying on our series that we've, we've been looking at over the last few weeks, looking at the book of Nehemiah. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 3. Now, uh, I'm, uh, we're not going to read it all, okay? Uh, it's a pretty dense... What I, your homework is to go away and read Nehemiah chapter 3 uh, at your leisure. We're not going to read it all this morning because it's a pretty dense... Sh- Who's misbehaving? Over there, at the back. Goodness sake, What do you think this is? It's a pretty dense, fairly long uh, chapter. It's filled with uh, lots and lots of detailed information. And really what it is, it's, it's the chapter where uh, Nehemiah and his teams are launching into the uh, work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And if chapter one that we looked at a couple of weeks ago is about... Uh, Nehemiah's prayer in going before God, and Nehemiah chapter 2 is about Nehemiah's preparation in going before um, people of influence, most notably King Artaxerxes of Persia. Chapter 3 is where the work finally gets underway and it, it really begins. And you kind of hope, you're reading Nehemiah and you, you sort of hope that um, Such a huge and momentous and exciting occasion uh, such as this would have one of those sort of wonderfully exciting epic chapters of scripture uh, sort of dedicated to the the beginning of the rebuilding work. Uh, But actually when we get to it, um, on the surface at least, uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, is pretty dull. Um, Okay, so... Just to give you uh, some idea, let's have a look at uh, some of the verses. Um, Just to warn you, it is absolutely full of completely unpronounceable names. And so um, we'll just whiz through a a few verses. So uh, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests, this is in verse 1, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and then round as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho, well, they built the adjoining section. And Zachar, son of Imri, well, he built next to them. Just round a little bit. This is me adding in stuff, but getting the idea across. Uh, the fish gate, that was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. And they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merrimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hak repaired the next section, and next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabul, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, good man, son of Baana, also made repairs. Uh, The next section was repaired by the men of Tekua, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. And basically it goes on. It goes on and on and on and round and round the the city of Jerusalem, 75 impossible to pronounce names of all of the works being carried out. And it goes kind of, imagine the city of Jerusalem. It sort of starts at the sheep gate and they go round past the sheep gate and to the Tower of the Hundred, past the Tower of uh, Hanel, onto the Fish Gate and then onto the Jesenna Gate and the, the Old Gate. And then they go down along the broad wall and past the Tower of Ovens, Uh, And they get onto the valley gate and then to the dung gate and then uh, they come to the fountain gate and then down past the pool of Siloam and the king's gardens on past the house of heroes to the water gate and the horse gate, the east gate, the inspection gate before they end up back at The the sheep gate. Good man. Uh, And they they finish off in the sheep gate in verse 31. We'll just cut down to verse 31. Next to him, it says, next to him, uh, Malkijah, one of the goldsmiths, he made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate. And as far as the room above the corner and between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. Brilliant. 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 some commentators describe this chapter as um, a monotonous list of detail, which is great when you're preparing um, a sermon. Uh, however, I think that what uh, we discover, and the, you can decide by the end of this sermon whether you agree with me or not, is I think that what we see in this chapter is verse after verse describing teams of people. Working alongside one another at various points around the city of Jerusalem, working a way to rebuild it, to rejuvenate the city and to restore what's been broken down. And you would be well within your rights to ask uh, the point, like, what's the point? Uh, exactly how has any of this got any relevance to us in 21st century post-Christian Britain? Um, Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us, shall we? Uh, Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for your word. We thank you that every single word is God-breathed and useful for teaching, training, correcting, training in righteousness. Um, And Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would open the eyes of our hearts. You would open our ears. Uh, to hear and to see what the Spirit is saying to us as individuals and to us as a church. We pray that you would minister to us through the scriptures by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come to uh, Nehemiah chapter 3 and we, um, we read in verse 1, Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests, they went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. And right off the bat, in these opening couple of verses, we begin to understand something about the work uh, that Nehemiah was undertaking. And there are actually six things I'm going to try and get through this morning, because there are six things that I think the Lord wants to highlight to us through this chapter. And the first is priority. Priority. Um, This account in uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, and it it actually, to be fair, reads more like a quantity surveyor's report uh, than a passage of scripture. That's True, but it, it begins with the priests restoring and consecrating the sheep gate. Okay, that's where it starts. Now, the priests, these are the, the people who are known, their, their, their job is to minister the presence of God to the people of God. These are the ones who are responsible for um, all of the sacrifice, for the, for the, for the worship life Basically, of the community. They're they're responsible for uh, what goes on and what happens in the temple. This is all about, these verses, it's all about worship and prayer and the presence of the Lord. And and the sheep gate was incredibly important in the spiritual life and the the spiritual vitality of the people of God. Because the sheep gate is the gate closest to the temple. And the sheep gate is the gate through which all of the sacrifices would have been brought for temple worship. And so Nehemiah begins. And as he begins, there's no mistake in the fact that he starts right here with worship. And what he's doing is he's saying that the number one priority for us as we rebuild these walls is to ensure that the worship life of the city is restored. The worship life of the city, it it radiates and it centers around the presence of God. Uh, And what he's saying is if we don't start by having the presence of God restored to the city, we don't have a city. If the presence of God doesn't go with us, then we won't go up from this place. We may well repair the walls. We might do a really great job. We, We might even make the walls look incredibly impressive as a piece of work. But if we don't have the presence of the living God dwelling in our midst, then we would have failed in our mission, is effectively what he's saying. You see, because the point wasn't simply just to rebuild the physical walls of Jerusalem. It was to restore the spiritual vitality and the life of the city. It was to build a place where God could gather his people together together. And make a dwelling for his name. So that his purposes to bless every nation, every tribe, every people group to the very ends of the earth would be accomplished and could be worked out. And it's the same for us. You know, as we build this very small corner Of the body of Christ. The Southwest London Vineyard. We are wanting to build something. That um, extends the kingdom of God. That demonstrates the love of God. That radiates the love of God. And the kingdom. um, To every single person. The Lord has put around us. Be be they near, local or far. And in exactly the same way. um, All of that that we turn our hands to. It all has to emanate from the presence of God in our midst. Now, um, unlike, uh, now for us, unlike back in the Old Testament, um, we don't have priests, Okay, at least um, not in the same way as they did then. Because then they had designated priests, and now we are all priests, the priesthood of all believers. Okay? Um, we don't have sheep. I mean, we do have sheep, but um, we don't sacrifice them anymore. Thank the Lord. Okay? Um, We don't have sacrifices. We do have sacrifices, but we don't sacrifice animals anymore. Okay? So things have changed since Nehemiah. And one of the reasons is, is that because all of those things, sort of the priesthood and the sacrifice... All of that has been rolled into one in and through the work and the life and the death of Jesus Christ. Uh, Hebrews 4 says that Jesus is our high priest. John the Baptist in John chapter 1 when he sees Jesus. Remember he says behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Hebrews chapter 7 says that Jesus himself has paid the ultimate sacrifice. He offers himself Once and for all. So the first thing that we learn about Nehemiah's rebuilding of this city is that over and above everything else, um, he first has to make provision for the presence of God. And in the same way, it's exactly the same for us. We make a priority of the presence of God. Of God through Christ Jesus. Uh, this is where we begin. This is why we worship. This is why we've just spent the time that we have in worship and are continuing our worship and will continue our worship. That's why at the beginning of every single week, all of us who consider this part of the body of Christ our home, we come together, we gather together as a family to. Interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves so that we can attend to the presence of the almighty and worship him. And we do that in the knowledge of the truth that his promises, that his presence inhabits the praises of his people. And so as we praise and worship the Lord, we know that God's presence comes in his glory. is made manifest amongst us. This is us starting at the sheep gate. Uh, and if you get all the way through chapter 3, which you'll do at home um, as you're reading it, uh, what you'll see, is, as I said earlier, is that you'll see that it all ends exactly where it begins. Because they go around Jerusalem and come full circle back to the sheep gate. It, it begins, it starts, and it finishes, Alpha and Omega, with worship. It starts and finishes with Jesus. It, it, it's the, the gate nearest the temple, the place of worship. It's all about the presence of God. Okay. Second thing is this accessibility, access. Have a look at verse three. And you you read through this chapter and you'll see that all of the gates have got their names. You know, there's the fish gate, there's the inspection gate, there's the old gate, there's the fountain gate, the water gate. They've all got names and they've all got specific functions. And as Nehemiah is getting everybody mobilized to kind of work on this rebuilding project, it's incredibly important to him that we get the gates in place. Because access, accessibility matters. You've got to remember, they're not building a fortress. And they're not trying to keep everybody out. They're building a city. And they're building a city whose mandate is to go and bless every other nation, every other people group with the things that God has blessed them with. And so it's incredibly important that there were easy access points, obvious ways in to the city right around the city. Ways in for people to come, ways out for people to go. And if they hadn't had those gates, you know, if they hadn't opened up the city, flung wide the gates of the city, starting with the presence of God, and there would have been the result of that would have, there would have been no worship life in the city. There was nowhere for the sacrifice, nowhere for the sacrifice to come through. So there would have been no worship life in the city. The spiritual vitality would have dried up. But apart from there being no spiritual life in the city, there would, have been, there would have been no gates open for commerce or for trade. If they'd kept the fountain gate and the water gates blocked up, there would have been no way for water to come into the city. The city would have become dry. If they hadn't opened up the dung gate, there was no way that they could get all of the uh, dung, is another word I could use, probably a safer word, um, out of the city. And so the city is going to end up, being a different place. So they could have done all this incredible building work. But if they hadn't worked hard. To create access points. For you know ways in for people to come. Ways in for people to come. And taste and see that the Lord is good. The whole city would have turned stagnant. And toxic. And in the same way we are. Um, as we seek to build this church. Um, As we seek to see the kingdom of God extended and the love of God extended, we are to make sure that there are lots and lots and lots and lots of ways in for people. Open gates really matter in the purposes of God. And so people come in and then they get sent out. They come in, they get sent out, they come in, they get sent out. We gather together as God's people right at the very center and the heart of all we are. And we encounter the presence of the living God. And then what happens is we scatter from here. We get sent out from here. And we take the experience and the encounter that we've had with the living God. Um, we take that blessing out to the highways and the byways and to all the people. and Every single person that the Lord puts in our way throughout the course of the week. And we minister that blessing to them. And we say, here, taste and see that the Lord is good. Here, I encountered the Lord on Sunday. We want you, want you to encounter him today. We want the gates to be wide open. So it matters that the gates are rebuilt. Without them, the city would have become stale and spiritually dry. It would have become monocultural, unintegrated. The people would have gone hungry. The people would have gone thirsty. And truth be told, the whole place would literally have stunk to high heaven. Open gates matter in the life of a church. Three, service. Okay, as we read through this extensive list of names and places in this chapter, we, one of the things we really realise quickly is that um, not all of the workers listed are actually from Jerusalem. In fact, when you look at it, you discover that not all of the people who are enlisted in terms of working on the be- rebuilding of the wall—they're not. Some of them don't even um, aren't even sympathetic to the Jewish faith. They're not even Jews. So you look at this list, and and you start to discover that there are people who come from like as far as thirty miles away from Jerusalem. In order to help. And they're all gathering together. They're all joining part of the workforce. And every single one of them. No matter what their trade. No matter what their skill. They're all signing up to build and restore. And you've got this whole long list of people and places. All serving alongside one another. To restore and rebuild the city. This week I I popped into uh, food bank at the yard. And I met this delightful uh, lady. She, I th- think she's quite new to the team. I've not met her before. And she's just retired. And she wanted to find somewhere to serve and to, to be a blessing to the community. Now, I, I didn't ask her. I, I, I don't know if she's a Christian. Um, I'm pretty sure she doesn't come to this church. Um, but she signed up to serve. She's, knowingly or unknowingly, she's signed up to see the kingdom of God extended. We see the same thing through Job Club, week in, week out. Um, Most of the coaches at Job Club, I think it's fair to say, um, aren't from this church. Uh, I I have no idea how many of them even are Christians. Um, All I do know is that every single week, faithfully, they give up their time to serve the community and to serve the people that the Lord sends into Job Club... And whether they realize it or not, whether they know it or not, they have signed up to seeing the kingdom of God extended. And in this chapter, um, the cause of rebuilding the city, what it does is it seems to gather together this incredibly diverse bunch of people all willing to serve. And you go through this list of people, and you see all of this wonderful diversity and skill. Um, you read about gifted craftspeople, they're creative people, they're just getting stuck in. To doing what God has asked Nehemiah to do, and, and, and what happens is all of a sudden their own preferences sort of take second place, and the work of rebuilding the city of God comes first. So in verse eight you 've got uh, people like Uziel. Uziel 's the goldsmith, and then next to him is, um, is Hananiah. Hananiah is a perfume maker, right And then down in verse 31 you read about um, Malkijar, he 's he's another goldsmith, and there's, there are merchants listed. There are um, rulers, sort of governors listed. Not to mention like all the priests and all these other people. All of them literally rolling up their sleeves and getting stuck into the work of rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. And they're all down together in the dirt and the grime and the mess of this regeneration project. Mending walls and repairing gates. You know, working with their hands covered in blisters. And they're all co-laboring, whether they realize it or not. For the sake of the kingdom. And you're kind of you know. You're on your little bit of the wall. And you're looking along. You go. why? See. It's like. Isn't that Uzziah the goldsmith? Like look at him. He's a goldsmith. You know. Think about Uzziah. He's this. He, he spends his time. Uh, crafting um, beautiful objects. He's, he's a, a fine craftsman. and workman. Uh, he, uh, he, he, with a fine attention to detail. And intricacy. And yet. He's. Literally just set all that aside and become another laborer. And he's working alongside somebody who's like just another brickie. And there's something in here that's important for us about serving beyond our own preferences. There's something in this chapter that speaks to the ability of God's people to say, Okay, look, even though this is what I do, even though this is where my skill set lies, even though this is what I'm trained in or trained as... um, I'm just going to lay that to to, to the side for now because right now I can see that there's another priority that needs my focus and it needs my attention. Which bit of the, the wall of building this church would God have us work on? You read through the New Testament and time and time again we just see this theme emerging that everybody gets to play. It's one of the things we love in the vineyard. Everyone gets to play. And not only does everybody get to play, but everybody is needed. Everybody is needed. Every single one of us has a part to play. Every single one of us has an integral part to play in building the church, in building this church, in seeing the kingdom of God extended. It's not just some team of specialist builders. Everybody is a builder in the family of God. Okay, the next thing is unity. Have a look at verse 7. You're reading through, and when you read through this at home, you'll see this. I hope you're reading through this and, you know, you you look at a massive project like this and um, it's really got lots of potential for going pretty pear shaped. And um, I'm sure there were the inevitable hiccups along the way. But interestingly, when you read this chapter, you don't read about any of those things in this account. And what you actually read and read about is and get the sense of is this kind of um, beautiful picture of um, harmony and unity. You read um, verse after verse, and you get phrases like, and next to them worked, and alongside them worked, and alongside them was. You get this picture of something that wasn't the least bit competitive, but it was just completely collaborative. Everybody working together, and it just reads like this dynamic. It's an awesome kind of team building event. You've got all of these different and diverse. People co together, each one playing its part. You know, the Ephesians 4 stuff, so that the whole body of Christ may be built up. Every single one doing their own little part, their own little bit. And there's this real sort of family feel, like they're all in it together. There's a real sense of close partnership. And in fact, you look through it, the descriptions that are used about the people that are working together, the language even has a family feel. And so, in the chapter, it describes, you know, the fellow Levites, the fellow fellow priests. You know, everywhere it says, the sons of Sanso, the sons of Sanso, and the sons of Sanso did this bit. There's even a bit where it says, the daughters of Sanso built the wall. Bring it on. Family working together, and, and, and unity is vital. Unity has been vital right from the very beginning. Every generation of God's family requires unity to thrive. You know, but has become so evident over the past few months in particular. Unity doesn't feel like it's um, one of those things that our society particularly values at the moment. But disunity has no place in the family of God. There's no space, there's no place for disunity in the family of God. And unity matters and we have to fight for it because unity reflects um, something of, the, person of God, the personhood of God. It reflects something of who God is to other people who may not know who God is. God is three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We know this and he, he exists in this perfect Trinitarian unity. And what that means is that when God's people show disunity... When we're broken in our relationships, there's like this immediate disconnect between what we're reflecting and, what, and who God is. And that's why unity needs to be prized. And, and unity is, we've talked about this before, but unity is this incredibly precious and beautiful thing. It's not uniformity. okay? It's not uniformity because in biblical unity, there's actually this g- incredible, wonderfully creative diversity. You know, it's actually pretty easy to have diversity without unity. It's also pretty easy to have unity without any diversity. The, the challenge for us all, the real challenge, is how do we have unity in diversity? Unity in and around the diversity that we have, where all of our hearts are connected all of our hearts are connected as one. But we actually still celebrate the differences that we have between ourselves. And we see that unity demonstrated here in chapter three. And so we don't see a bunch of prima donnas saying, you know, oh, like, hold on a second. You know who I am. You know, you know, you know how important I am. very terribly, 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 terribly important. You want me to do set up? <laughs> you know, you want me to serve the coffee? You want me to build the what? The dungate? I don't think so. This church, we're we're lucky, we're so fortunate and blessed. This church is filled with people who are just like Uzi, or the Goldsmith. Whose skill set may lie in fine, intricate work, but for the sake of the kingdom, they're willing to roll up their sleeves and just get stuck in. What I love about this church, one of the many things I love about this church, um, I love the diversity that we have around us. And it may come as a surprise to you, this is an incredibly broad church. Um, There are lots and lots of differences in this church. Some of them are more obvious than others, but this is an incredibly diverse church. Would that it were even more diverse, okay? Uh, I'd I'd love for even greater diversity. Um, But, you know, like some of you, what you do on, um, what what you do, let's just pick that, what you do Monday to Saturday, it, it would shock the rest of us if we knew who you were. Monday to Saturday, when we see you running around in a bright orange T-shirt on a Sunday morning, looking after our kids, you see, because we only see you in that role. How fascinating it would be to pop into all of our lives Monday morning in the boardroom or wherever it may be that we find out. How easy would it be for some of you, many of you, to just say, do you know how how much I get paid? Like, Like, do you know my job title? Do you know how important I am? Do you know how much I bill out an hour? And you want me to do this? Uziel doesn't do that. Instead what he does is he lays aside his goldsmithing. And he he works shoulder to shoulder. To demonstrate his unity with his co-laborers. On this much bigger project. Building the the city of God. And it's humbling and beautiful to see. um, Choosing to work alongside different people groups. Different families. Different theological positions. Differences of opinion whole ranges of diversity and different subjects, but recognizing that, more importantly right now, we're all playing a part of the bigger picture. So we learn about unity, then we also learn about humility. Only two more, there's a brief. Um, Humility, we've touched on this already, when we looked at the priests resetting the gates back in uh, verse 1. You go back to verse 1, you recognize that, um, you you look and you see that Eli, Eli, He's the high priest, for goodness' sake, yeah. He's the high priest, and then his fellow priests get to work on rebuilding the sheep gate. Okay, so this, you know, these these guys are awesome because an example of humility because they just they know how to get their hands dirty. You know, they're not floating six feet off the ground on some spiritual high, saying, "Oh no, no, you busy yourselves, and we'll intercede for you. God bless you." You know, and they're not doing any of that. They literally get to work themselves. These guys; these are the priests, and they know how to work a saw. They know how to build things. You know, they know how to cut a joint, um, which doesn't say anything about their drug-taking habits. But they knew, they, 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 they knew how. To, I mean, I, I don't know, but they knew how to hang a gate. They knew how to do stuff, and they did it. They, they were connected to day-to-day life. They weren't locked up in some ivory tower. The goldsmiths, we've already mentioned, perfume makers, building the walls. There are just a couple of individuals I I just want to look at. Have a look back at um, verse 5. Verse 5 says this. It says, the next section was built, uh, the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. Now, the Tekoites are mentioned twice in this chapter. They're mentioned in verse 5, and they're mentioned in verse 27. And um, what happens basically with these guys is, um, in verse 5, they finish their section of the wall... But they're so keen for more that what they do is they scurry around and they, until they find another part of the wall that needs fixing. And, and they go off and they get stuck in there and they start repairing another bit. They're like, they're like tireless, they're like machines. And it's amazing that they did this because it also says this in verse 5. It says this, it goes on and it says, but their nobles, or as one translation has it, their exalted leaders would not stoop to serve the Lord. Their leaders would not put their shoulder to the work. Because unlike Uzziah and others, this group of people weren't prepared to humble themselves. They weren't prepared to show unity. They weren't prepared to get to work. Their own people were serving and working twice as hard. They're doing a double shift. But their nobles, their leaders, simply refused to put their shoulder to the work. Now compare that with um, verse 14 verse 14 says this the dungate was repaired by malkijah son of Rechab, ruler of the district of beth hardwood he rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place so malkijah the ruler rebuilds the dung gate. now malkijah he's a he's a ruler of a district he's sort of a bit like a mayor I think of about it like that he's a dignitary um, and he's a guy who would have been treated with great respect in his community so so when the allocation of the work comes Malkajar, dungate leave it to me now i don't know how nehemiah allocated the work i don't know i can imagine that nehemiah standing up on some some little you know soapbox there's all these people all around him and he's going kind of through stuff. And it's like, okay, guys, are you ready? And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you need to do, Nehemiah? And it's like, okay, well, let's start the sheep gate. Sheep gate. Anyone want the sheep gate? And the priests are kind of like looking around going, oh, I guess that's probably us. It's near the temple. It's about sacrifice. We should, we, we'll take that. Nehemiah will take the sheep gate. It's so, like awesome, great, and then he moves on to the fish gate, and he takes us for the fish gate, and there's you know one of the sons of the sons of the sons of the sons of somebody or other discovers that their great uncle was a fisherman, and so they go, oh, we'll take the fish gate, yeah, fish gate, fish gate, leave it to me, I'll get it done, and it kind of goes on and on and round, and you get the horse gate, and the inspection gate, and the east gate, and then whatever, right? And probably last on the list is the smallest gate is the dung gate. And it's like Nehemiah on his soapbox, and he goes, anyone want to do the dungate? The, 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 the filthiest part of the city, without question. This is the place where for generations, all of the muck and the dung and the refuse and the rubbish and the waste has been taken through. And Nehemiah's going, any takers, any takers, anyone interested in the dungate? And Malkajar, the, uh, the, the, the ruler, this, this, this dignitary, this mayor, he stands up and he goes, Nehemiah, Nehemiah, I'll, I'll do it. Dungate. I'll take it. Leave it to me. And then you read that just like every other gate, he repaired it. He rebuilt it. He set its doors and its bolts and its bars. He's got this incredible contrast. Look at the contrast. You've got one set of leaders who won't even stoop to serve Nehemiah and the Lord. They won't even lift a finger to get the work done. And they're happy just to sit by and to stand by while their own people... Do double shifts. Work twice as hard. And then you've got Malkajar going, just leave it to me. Leave it to me. Consider it done. I'll do the dung do gate. The reality is, is that we build the city of God as we um, seek to extend the kingdom of God across uh, southwest London. As we build uh, this church, as we build the different sections of our walls, we need Malkajas. We need people who actually say, do you know what? Just give me a second. Just give me two seconds. I'm just going to take off my suit, right? I'm just going to take off uh, my work clothes. I'm just going to, I just need to kind of find somewhere. Where can I put my chain of office, right? It's, it's not going to be very helpful. It's in the way. I just need to take it off. And Can I just bung it over there in a locker? I'm going to take off my title, I'm going to take off my rank, I'm going to take off my position, I'm going to take off my self-importance, and I'm just going to serve. I'm just going to serve wherever it is that Nehemiah and the Lord need me to serve. And and our church is filled with people like this. People with a heart and a mindset that says, just leave it to me. Whatever it is that needs to be done, I'll do it. You know, the setup team needs uh, more volunteers. Over here, leave it to me. I'll do it. I'm gonna serve Mike in such a way so that his work is a joy and not a burden. And beyond that, I'm gonna make sure that our setup teams are the best setup teams there are. That's leave it to me. You know, Vinya Kids needs more people and it's like, I'll do it. Near over here I'll take it. And I'm going to serve Manny and Sinead in such a way so that actually, it's lovely to see Manny here this morning. It's the first time I've seen him in a main service for I don't know how many months. But I'm going to serve Manny and Sinead in such a way so that Manny and Sinead can actually come into like a main service and get ministered to like, like, like the rest of us do. And along the way, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that every single week in Vineyard Kids gets filled with the most incredible teams of people who are passionate about serving our kids. I'll do it. What about our youth? You know, who need, desperately need, more and more people passionate about serving teenagers and helping them find God for themselves. We need malchages who are going to go, leave it to me, consider it done, I'll do it. What about the welcome team? So that every single person who comes through the gates of this church not only gets an incredibly warm welcome, but is made uh, to feel um, welcomed and loved. And not only that, but experiences an encounter with the living God as a result of the ministry that we're doing. What about Job Club? You know, um, I'm glad he's not here. Peter and Jenny, I I don't know. Maybe Peter Hawke, right, could just do with a, a bit of a, break. Maybe he could just do with somebody taking the load off his shoulders so he doesn't have to recruit all of the coaches and keep driving the thing all himself. Maybe he just needs a malchager who says look Peter, let me take this off you so that you can then go and be free to think about what it is the Lord is calling you to do in and through Job Club in the future. We need people who just stick their hands up and say I'll do it. I don't care how It is. I'll do it. Leave it to me. You can focus on what it is that you feel like the Lord might be saying next. What about those of you the Lord is calling to help establish worship in this church? That we might all encounter the presence of the living God, which is what we all desperately long for. We long for and we yearn to see more and encounter more of the presence of the living God. You know, But what about those of you who are being called by the Lord to serve James? uh, To pray for him? To encourage him? uh, To... You know best way to encourage a worship team and a worship leader is to worship as the church pressing in to worship, choosing to press into worship, not looking around and chatting and but pressing in to worship most amazing way to encourage a worship leader malcoers who go i 've got it sign me up i 'm going to do my part to strengthen the sheep gate of this church. you know this part of the wall will get built, and i 'll See to it, I'm in. My name is Malkajar, and I will rebuild the Dungate. And I'll do it because I want to be like Jesus. Because um, I want to be like him. I want, to lose my, I want to lose my life for his sake, so that I might actually find it. Finally, very quickly, accountability. Uh, verses 23 and then verses 28 through to 30. Every single one of these verses has something along the lines of a phrase, which is opposite... Their own house, opposite their own houses. And I think it's really interesting that there's a whole bunch of people in this story, this account of Nehemiah, who actually choose to take on the restoration work immediately outside their homes. Now, uh, I think you've got to be pretty confident in your ability to build if you're going to take responsibility for building something that you're going to be looking at every day through your sitting room window. But beyond the practical side of this building work, I think this speaks about accountability. And I think there's a call going out for every single person who's a follower of Jesus Christ in our generation to build a section of the wall outside our own homes. Um, What that means is there's a call on us to be authentic, to be living authentic lives. There's a call on our lives to be living accessible lives, to being available to our neighbours, to our families, to our work colleagues, to our friends. And to say, this is what I'm building with my life. And it, it's all right on view, right outside the front door. Right? We can all see it. Everyone can see it. Your neighbours can see it. Your friends can see it. Your relatives can see it. Your family can see it. Everyone can see it. Because you're building it right outside your home. We're building something right by our own homes. It's right there. And there's uh, something that we're saying In that, which is I want to be accountable for my building because it's so near to my own home. Okay, I'm going to finish. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, not, 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 not at all, just an endless list of unpronounceable names. Let's never just flip over these passages of scripture that look like they're impenetrable because there's such treasures in and amongst these verses. This is a call, this chapter is a call to us and it's a timely reminder that every single one of us has a part to play. Each one of us has been called to build the wall and as we build, no matter what section we're building, Every single one of us is building with a commitment to seeing the presence of God fill the place. The glory of God filling this place through prayer and through worship. We're building gates together so that people can come in. They can taste and see that the Lord is good. And they can come and encounter the living God. And then people can be sent out. They can take the goodness of the lord to the land of the living we're, we're to serve alongside one another taking our place at the wall as Malkajars and uziel's um, united as we work in spite of all of our differences and we work together and alongside one another in humility and accountability and we do it all unto and for the glory of god why don't you stand